A big warm hello to our listeners. This is Sundara Quackenbush, your host of the Archetypal Tarot Podcast. And I am so thrilled and excited to have the creators of the Rosebud Tarot with us here today with the artist Amanda Lee Stilwell and the writer and diviner Diana Rose Harper. Welcome to the Archetypal Tarot Podcast. Thanks. It's wonderful to be here. Wonderful. So uh, if our video listeners can see, I have trimmed some roses from the garden. I'm super excited to talk about roses and how you've reimagined the tarot in this deck. Um, But let's go ahead and get started with with the origins. So how did this idea, how did this deck come about originally? Who's answering this, Diana? You, you, you first, because it started with you. <laughs> okay, so the very, very origins of this deck um, started as a single card that I created for a art show um, that happened uh, at Sideshow Gallery uh, back sometime before the pandemic. All those years start to really melt together, <laughs> to be completely honest. Um, but that card was the strength card. Um, which I designed in a large format for the show. And after I designed that card, I started thinking, hmm, I really, really enjoy doing digital collage. And I've been collecting all these vintage photographs for all these years to create my collages. I wonder if I could actually make the major arcana for, for this. And that kind of was tickling in my brain. Um, And then serendipitously, uh, I was invited to a opening or a, what would you call it? Like a a release of the Brady Tarot Mm -hmm. um, by my friend, whose name is Rosé, to to meet at a a location in Chicago. And Rosé said, do you not know my friend Diana Rose? And I said... (laughs) No. <laughs> and and we met that night and I'll let kind of Diana take over from from there. Yeah, so we met um that was such a wonderful event. Um that was at Space Oddities in Chicago which unfortunately no longer exists. Um but um so we met and you know we became, you know, friends, we became friends on Facebook. And eventually Amanda had gotten far enough with the creation of these cards where it was just like, oh, it's not just the majors that want to be made. There are also minors that would like to be made. Um, And so she put out a call on Facebook being like, I think I'm making a tarot deck. Does anybody want to help me with the writing part? (laughs) And, um, you know, it's like I love tarot I've been doing tarot since like on some in some way shape or form since I was five not like as like a diviner when I was a five more like a I like playing with the cards and making stories five-year-olds whatever um I was so excited to see this that I was like yes me pick me (laughs) um and so then we went and had breakfast and we talked about it and we started working together where it was like Amanda was creating the art like the art like the deck itself is like 
channeling through Amanda. Um, and then we would have conversations and just like, you know, oh, I think there's maybe something a little bit off about this image. Like what needs to get shifted? Is this translating well? And then, you know, the choices around um, how are we going to name particular cards? Like a lot of the names that we changed in the deck came through that way for Amanda. But then there were certain cards where we were just like, mm, let's hash it out. Let's like collaborate, collaboratively discuss what we think um, these cards would like to be named what's going to work well. And then it took me one and a half million years <laughs> to um, create the poems that go with all of the major arcana. Um, and we decided to, you know, so we we did a Kickstarter. Uh, we published this as an indie deck originally. Um, and for the Kickstarter deck, we wanted to really try to let the cards guide people in creating meanings rather than mm, forcing meanings onto people. Um, you know, I know that for myself as a diviner, I really appreciate the way that especially indie decks can do such a great job of like kind of opening perception rather than um, curtailing perception or, you know, excessively just like defining meaning for you. Um, and then, you know, we did the Kickstarter and the Kickstarter was successful, like really fast. Yeah. <laughs> like it was astounding. Um, especially cause you know, we did choose to work with, um, like a United States based deck publisher. Um, just because like at this point we were in the Panini, like in the middle of the Panini, we didn't know how, like, um, uh, what is that called? Supply chains, supply chains, supply chains. Mm -hmm. We didn't know what was going to happen with supply chains, like all of that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, I don't. Yeah, now then the deck was born. It's in the world, and it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so much of this deck actually got developed during that time. Um, uh, you know, for better or worse, uh, we <laughs> we had to have a lot of this these conversations over Zooms and mm -hmm. texts and phone calls. Um, so a lot of it was done remotely just because of the circumstances. <laughs> you know, sometimes, yeah. I mean, we also like took big breaks because I don't know about you, but I wasn't sure what was happening in the world. And I don't, I couldn't create under those, you mm -hmm. know, circumstances. And I know Diana was probably in the same space. It was really yes. hard to find to find balance in that time. So mm -hmm. the deck took about what, three years from I think it took like three years. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I spent like three months literally at the end of the world in the desert, just like working on writing certain components of the deck's book and all of that kind of thing. Wow. Yeah. Well, it, it feels like a rose bush itself, you know, it's mm -hmm. like there's this <laughs> periods where you're not going to see the blooming happening, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and um, it goes dormant for a little while and you got to trim it back and it's not very exciting for a minute, but it, a lot is happening underneath and uh, within. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like, uh, I just love to hear how the two of you have collaborated and um, bounced off each other. And it sounds like a lot of the, I know a lot of what you hashed out was together on some of the cards, but um, I would love to hear about the process for each of you in both the creating of the art, like how you make those collages. And then as the writer, when you, when you take in an image and you allow what comes, I just would love to hear a little bit about your process on both, both ends of those spectrums. Yeah, definitely. Um, for me, I have been 
I have been a collage artist since I was a, a wee child, um, whether it was cutting up magazines and pasting them to other things or, you know, just finding old photographs and figuring out what I could do to make them more than what they were. Um, I love shadow boxes. Um, it's just been a like constant passion of mine to like take objects and put them into another object to make a completely different object. And so, um, I guess like my, my digital version of that started on Tumblr. Um, back, <laughs> yes, back in the day, uh, my friend and I had a a Tumblr that was called shopping and chopping. And basically we had people submit five different words and we would create Photoshop digital collages based on those five words. And it was so much fun. It really like pushed me to understand how to really put collage in a digital format because I hadn't really played around with Photoshop. This was back in... I don't know, 2008 ish, right? Like I, and I, I was new to learning Photoshop. I was new to learning the art. And so it helped me really learn that. So from there, I started just collecting tons of vintage ephemera. Uh, for the folks on video here, I can just show you, this is a small sample. Very of, small sample. <laughs> <laughs> of some of the photographs that I collect. I, um, I sort them and organize them by, you know, type and who's in them. I specifically love collecting things, photos that look like they have queer couples in them. That's always been an obsession of mine, finding finding myself um, as, you know, as a queer person, finding people that look like me throughout history. Also, I'm, I'm a fat person. So for those that can't see me, I, I self-describe as plus size and fat. To find people who are fat in vintage photography is really interesting to me. To find people of color in vintage photography is really, like, I basically just am trying to find pockets of interesting things throughout history through vintage photography. And once I had that collection, I just started feeling like I wanted to put it all together. What I started doing, let's see, I started making little fairies. Sorry, this is a nude. I hope that's okay. <laughs> I started making <laughs> little fairies with like butterfly wings and vintage photos. This is like a really good example of some of the early stuff I was working on. And I just loved doing that so much. And I was like, how can I kind of pull this all together to marry my other love, which is reading tarot, which I've been doing since I was probably about 17 or so. And yeah, I don't know. That's kind of just like how it came together. I also have made another tarot deck, uh, which was also mm -hmm. a collage deck um, called the new wave tarot. Mm -hmm. And that started off as a gift to my spouse <laughs> who <laughs> loves new wave eighties music so much that I made them a sort of like collage deck of different um, 1980s artists as the major arcana, just as a kind of a funny birthday gift one here. And people liked it so much that I ended up expanding that to an entire deck. And, and that was my first foray into indie tarot decks. That one came out, I think, in 2013 or so, 2014. I remember seeing oh. you sell those at markets. I know. It was they a long time so ago. Good. 
I'm going to have to check that out. Is that on, is that on the market out there still, or is it? It's, it's sold out. I mean, I did three runs of it. Um, at this point, you know, I, I just, it was all indie run and I, I just didn't have it in me to do one more, although I keep getting emails. So who knows, maybe if I get a, a few more emails, I could put it out again. Um, it's, you know, it's kind of expensive to get that first run, uh, I don't really want to do another Kickstarter anytime soon. <laughs> Great. I, I will let you know if our listeners are asking for your email for that one. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so we've got these images, the collage yeah. images, the vintage pictures. These are real people from the past that have yeah. been illuminated anew in the Rosebud Tarot. And then they've, they've made their way to, to you, Diana. Mm-hmm. And so what, it, what, what is your process like? And, mm-hmm. and some of these soulful solo moments where you looked at this imagery and had this time uh, both away and with, uh, what was it like to write these, these poems and uh, mm. interpretations for each card? Yeah. So, um, you know, in, in terms of like direct, pro- like process, like what is the actual process? Like, um, for me, sitting with tarot generally, like, you know, throughout the years, like I've described tarot practice to clients is, you know, each each image is sort of like a dream image. And just like with our dreams, if we sit with them and we think about them sideways, we can discern meaning and um, messages that we might not get if we were looking at them directly. And that's actually a huge part of why I was so attracted to Amanda's art, um, because of the way that she layers things, like she layers these images um, in ways that really confound perspective and collapse time in really incredible ways. Like they really are, um, you know, there, there are some tarot decks some tarot decks are even more dreamy than others would maybe be one way of putting Mm -hmm. it like not dreamy as in like soft focus but dreamy as in like this feels like something that my subconscious put together in a weird way at midnight um and so for me like sitting with each of the cards to create meaning from them is very much like entering into a dream as you would do in like an active imagination mm-hmm. dream working process as well as just sort of sensorially opening to whatever is within that image and then combining that sort of linking that it's almost like um like making chain mail or um, Mm. circuitry or whatever, like linking that with what is already within my system of understanding for that particular card from a more classical tarot interpretation perspective. So um, like when I was out in the desert and I was really focusing on creating the poems for the major arcana, it's like I had printed, you know, Amanda sent me like, like eight and a half by 11 printed versions (laughs) of all of the cards. So I just had those all up on a wall, um, just like taped to a wall and I would just like walk up to them. Um, And I didn't do them in any kind of order. What I did them in the order of who was ready to speak with me essentially. So I would, you know, pull down that image and I would sit with that. Sometimes the, like whatever wanted to be said would come out immediately and it might only need a little bit of editing. And sometimes it took, um, you know, almost like, almost like a conflict mediation process of being like, (laughs) I don't, I still, I I still think I'm misunderstanding you. Like, what are you actually trying to say? And then, um, you know, translating that, like part of why I love poetry, especially is, 
um, there's something, at least the way that I approach poetry, it's like, what is the economy of words that will get across the sensation of whatever is happening here, right? So, you know, I might end up, um, you know, some with some of the cards, it's like, I ended up with like, I don't know, a thousand words that I then had to like, be like, okay, but like, what are you actually saying? Like, what, what's the thesis statement? And then how do I make that poetic? Um, yeah, so it was, <laughs> I've never really talked about this process before. Um, so I hope that it's making sense as I'm trying to translate it. Um, but very much one of like listening and translating and rearranging and editing and asking and asking and asking and eventually coming out with something and so again some of them were like very immediate like the star the star came out just like phew zing wow. mm -hmm. um the fool was also very fast um i feel like um emergence you know emergence is always or you know judgment um like that has been a lifelong hearing you hear card like everybody has a couple of cards that they're just like i don't actually know what you're trying to say um but I, it's always helped by the art, like the art itself is a process of translation of meaning. Um, and I feel like Amanda's art, um, like sitting, sitting and working with Amanda's art throughout this really helped to add a lot of depth. And I don't know, it's like, um, I can sometimes like be obsessive about watching oil painters <laughs> um like oil painting videos are like some of my favorites um and, but part of it is just like the layers and the layers and the layers and the layers and the glazes there's just like there can be so much depth that goes into um an oil painting and in the same way there's so much depth that can go into comprehending the tarot mm -hmm. and I feel like sitting with Amanda's art and forging additional layers of understanding was kind of like adding those oil painting layers to each of the cards as they live in my head so wonderful and uh, I'd love for you to um uh read one of your poems for mm -hmm. uh for us for this podcast but I just would love to say as someone who's kind of guilty of throwing out interpretation because <laughs> uh, I feel like they sometimes divorce me from my intuition but um the the fact that you use this beautiful poetry um it, it it's just opens up the cards and the imagery more as opposed mm -hmm. to kind of closing it down shutting it down so i really really appreciate that and the beauty of the the words that you put to these images so um if you have do you have one ready or do you want to gather i mean i just i just opened it up to the stars so i could just do Let's that do one yeah um, reminder of immortality reminder of wonder reminder that even after death destruction, collapse, hope remains. Sparks of divinity scattered like tears, like smiles, like the fallen petals of a tree in spring, every single one a gleaming diamond singing you forward, a chorus of life. And that just burst from you like yeah, when the star was ready, the star was just like, "Hey." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> And it's, yeah. it's such a beautiful card after that, you know, uh, after the, the challenge of the tower right there. Mm -hmm. So you're really taking us on a journey through this imagery and it's comforting, but also mind blowing ex and expansive. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so just going back to the roses. So why the rosebud? Why the rose uh, as a central theme to this deck? And we'll we'll get to some of the name changes and the how you've done the suits, which I love, by the way. Um, but but let's start with the rose because you don't have to convince me. But I'm 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 <laughs> hearing why the rose and yeah, what what's blooming there for you with with this solidifying imagery? Um, I can't remember if I started using the roses before we talked. I think I was using the roses already throughout, right? Yeah, and I noticed that in your art. I yeah. remember we were like sitting there, we were eating like our little breakfast sand sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, it seems like you're using roses a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it just so happens that roses are so common in, in vintage ephemera, uh, you know, on, on little, um, those Victorian hand cards that hold the letter, those were used as calling cards um, in back in the 1800s. And so that imagery just was always there as part of the ephemera that I had. Um, I wasn't necessarily even conscious of it. That, so Diana brought it to my attention then. And we continue to talk about, I think we actually named, didn't we name the deck when we were at Swarm? I think we did. Yeah. Yeah, Swarm was an artist residency that happened in the hot wilds of Iowa one summer. <laughs> it was yes, uh, we and we <laughs> we spent a, a couple of days there um, working on. You know, we spent time there actually asking, truly asking the universe, does this deck need to exist in mm -hmm. the universe? We spent time there talking about what the name of this deck should be. Mm -hmm. um, I think you, you mentioned the word blooming, which certainly continued to show up in conversations about the, the way that sort of tarot as in, unfurls itself, how one can it be a part of it. Um, and then Diana's name. I mean, it's just like all these little things just kind of, allowed themselves to, to be present in this. And so once we did have that sort of particular name and theme, I leaned into it more. Right. So like I might've not used roses always throughout the deck, but once we had that, it was certainly, okay, no, this is like intentional. And now we're going to move through it with intentionality. I remember Diana at one point said, I think you need to add roses to this card, this card, this card, and this card. Cause I had, <laughs> They didn't all. They or they need all. to be bigger. The roses aren't right. big enough to make it bigger. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, so roses are sort of um, a lifelong, you know, obviously it's my name, right? It's my given name. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, beyond that, they feel like a very important plant, um, plant spirit, uh, symbolically and literally for me. Um, and even just thinking about like various traditions of like sub rosa, like what does it mean to keep certain things secret, but it's in the keeping secret and the co secret conversation that openings can happen that would not be able to happen without the container of secrecy. Um, you know, there is sweetness and possibility with roses. Um, they're so like, they have such a long and intimate relationship with humanity. 
um, you know, used magically and medicinally and cosmetically. And, you know, they've convinced us to create countless varietals. Um, you know, it's like I live fairly close to the Huntington Gardens here in Southern California. Um, and just to like go to their rose gardens. And it's just like, hundreds of different kinds of roses that have been deliberately um, and collaboratively created um, over the years. Um, and I think there's also something, you know, like we were talking about before we even started recording of the the sort, or maybe you were just saying this, I don't know, time feels fake sometimes for me, um, you know, but just like the growth cycles, right? It's like, we can't bloom always. And in order to bloom well, we need enough fertilizer, we need the right balance of light, and moisture and heat and coolness. And we need protection, right? Like, you know, thorns aren't an explicit component of the deck, but they are present nonetheless. And there's something about like, what does it mean to keep safe that which is precious, not in a way that keeps it in a tower, like keeps it caged away, but in a way that allows for that which does need to be shared, to be shared generously, but still protectedly. So yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. Um, I actually just did an interview yesterday with Perdita Finn, who wrote mm -hmm. The Way of the Rose. So I don't know mm -hmm. if you've read that, mm -hmm. but um, uh, yeah. her podcast is coming out later in September. But uh, it, it's it's amazing the history, as you say, and the symbolism, uh, the connections to goddess worship and mm -hmm. the and um, all these things that had to remain hidden and um, and symbolic through the roses. I know we were talking about the Victorians a little while ago, and I think you could just send someone a rose, and the, but the color of the rose would say the message that you wanted to mm -hmm. say. Yes, <laughs> there, there is actually in the Elder card, you can see yes. very, very tiny, there's a little book that they're holding, and it is in fact, a book about the language of flowers. Ah, very good. Yes. So. I knew you wouldn't gloss over that. I, I'm never. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about the structure of these cards. So, um, cause I have here my, uh, my, I got these for my, oh, birthday. nice. you know, my, my husband really spoiled me for my birthday as he always does. I always tell him not to, but, but my favorite thing that I got was the, these gardening shears, like they're, they're my own and they're, um, they're sharp and they're, <laughs> they're in that way, gentler, you know, and healthier for the rose bushes. Um, I've just learned ha having roses here that they love to be fussed over. They love, mm -hmm. they, you know, you can cut them back and they'll just like, they love it. They love yeah, a hard love prune it. and they yeah. love a helicopter parent. <laughs> they really do and then you know and then I'm always harvesting the petals and drying the petals and I've um I had a, a previous visitor to the archetypal tarot podcast that taught me about smoke medicine by you know connecting with plants from your own heritage and, and environment and so burning those rose petals and feeling the positivity of those plants oh boy it's so special so it was it was a delightful to look in the deck and to see that the the shears are the swords in this yes. <laughs> um, and I'm an air sign so all the better uh, you know I love, <laughs> I love seeing these these shears in there and um the way that they are collaged in and 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 commenting and collaborating with the characters in 
every card uh, of that suit. Um, so anyway, but that's not all. There's more rose symbolism to be had in your uh, in your four different elements and also spirit too. So do you want to just dis discuss how you um, what those are and and how you decided that? Sure. Um, so I, I essentially, once we, again, once we determined the, the, the general like theme and name of the deck, I was just thinking like, how, how are we going to sort of pull that through, um, through the miners, especially. And so the thing that we sort of talked about and came up with was like relating it to the garden. So I wouldn't say that these are all necessarily specific to roses, but they are all specific to 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 the garden in some way and uh, as a as a gardener <laughs> i just felt like it was a nice way to weave in you know these elements that i feel so connected to personally and <clears throat> um i don't know these each just came to me fairly easily i think we were having a conversation on zoom again this was all happening during the during the panini and so we were having a conversation and just i was sort of like you know diana what do you think about you know i you know, uh, the, the, the wands, the, the branches being, you know, the, like the, actual rose stems, the actual rose <laughs> stem. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then the terracotta pots to me, just like instantly terracotta already is, is earth, right. So it's earthen and to have a terracotta pot just to me represented so much of, of earth. Um, and then the watering cans for water. I mean, I don't know that just that just came naturally that I guess the hardest one really was, was the swords was air and just like figuring out what was going to really match that. And then, you know, I was like, Oh wait, well, there's so many sharp garden tools in this world. What can, and then, and the shears or secateurs, um, as they're called across the pond, you know, I, that just came to me immediately. I was like, ah, you know, that's the, that's the one. And especially with so many beautiful vintage versions of of them um it was really a good i thought i thought a good one you have described yourself as um using garden magic and and you know kitchen magic and all these different types mm -hmm. are these considered magical tools in the in the garden or uh, absolutely 100 percent. I, I just gotta know everything can be a magical tool <laughs> yeah. everything can be a magical tool <laughs> yeah, follow me, you'll know that i i'm usually working with stones so gardening is usually but roses have been great because they're so forgiving they're so resilient <laughs> but um how do you use the shears and the things for the this garden magic for myself um i have a pair of very special shears that i always use to trim my herbs and so i you know i even i will cleanse them um using ver the various ways that i like to cleanse things um i'm always very intentional i mean i i like literally let's see, two, three days ago, we had some pretty heavy storms in Chicago and a lot of my lavender, um, got kind of <laughs> waterlogged and swamped. And so I thought, well, this is going to be a time. And I intentionally went around the garden and trimmed every single stem of lavender that I wanted to try to preserve off of the bushes and brought them inside. It dried them out, bound them together, um, hung them up and, Later in the season, I have a massive sage bush that I will use to, again, I will go trim it. I will start to make, I make bundles to do, you know, my own um, smoke and cleansing magic, um, always using stuff from my own garden, from my own mm -hmm. 
space. Um, so that's kind of how I treat, I mean, I wouldn't, maybe not my push broom doesn't necessarily feel magical on a regular day, but anytime I'm doing things in the garden where I'm collecting or, or intentionally working to, to plant or to harvest or to, to help grow, I, I, I always feel like that's, it's very sacred time for me. Literally putting my hands literally in dirt is one of the most healing activities. I sometimes will immediately stop my nine to five job, go outside and start weeding my garden because that is the time for me that just like absolutely grounds me and allows me to relax, meditate, just be. Oh, that is lovely. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I, I am, I'm inspired by other uses, magical uses for these long rose stems now I'm like yes. you know they're they look yes. so powerful in the images that you created and I'm like oh there's something here what what can we do they're excellent <laughs> wards mm. right so if you do any kind of warding in your house so mm. um I have a neighbor like right next door who um the people who lived there before planted climbing roses in a place that can't they can't climb um so um I have kind of unofficially taken on the role of um keeping them in check um so they don't just take over the path instead because they don't have a thing to climb on um so I, I'll get these you know sometimes like over a meter long um rose stems and so just like trimming them and sometimes I keep them at length. Sometimes I'll trim them into something smaller, but they make for excellent, just like, you know, is it decor or is it a ward? <laughs> <laughs> and for our audience that doesn't know what that means, what, what, what do you mean by warding? And oh, warding. So warding in witchcraft um, and magical practice is, um, I, um, collaborating with other beings or other objects to strengthen the protection in a given place. Um, so, you know, if you're warding, like um, there's actually a book by um, Alfea Sebastiani um, called By Rust of Nail by Prick of Thorn. That's very, it's very digestible, very accessible, very practical guide to um, home warding in particular. Um, but the idea is basically just, it's not like an alarm system. <laughs> it, it can be depending on how you choose to set it up and how um, energetically attuned you are to that sort of thing. Um, but it's basically just like, like, um, like the Pennsylvania Dutch, like hex signs, those are wards, right? There are symbols that are designed specifically mm -hmm. and like infused with intention specifically to turn away unwanted energies, mm -hmm. unwanted in interferences, so to speak. Um, and so there are just as many, as many ways that you can think about um, saying no, thank you there is a way to make that into a ward. It's the opposite of a welcome mat. Yes, the opposite. I love that. That's perfect. It's the opposite of a welcome mat. Yes. What a cool practice. I, I'm doing some traveling soon. So I think I will, um, I will make some wards for mm -hmm. that for the house while I'm gone. That sounds amazing. If you have bendy enough rose stems and you're willing to deal with the the kind of bloody fingertips you can make like little wreaths and things like that um and then you know again it's like 
dark arts and crafts decor style, you know? <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm leveling up my rose practices. This is so exciting. Thank you so much. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then, um, and we can't neglect to talk about, of course, the the major arcana and mm-hmm. um, the, all the creative renaming that has come into and re-envisioning with, with the imagery as well. Um, so is there, is there, I would just invite our, viewers, of course, to get a deck and explore that major arcana, but is there any favorites that you have um, that have maybe a different name than our listeners would be used to? All of them are my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) The life life giver, maybe? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I I I noticed that one. Yeah. Um, The life giver is really good. Sorry, keep going. And that would be in the place of the empress, right? Yes. Yes. I I just have, you know, I, as, as a queer person, and I don't mean to keep bringing it back to that, but like as a queer person, I sometimes just got so irritated by a traditional um, tarot expressions, I guess, uh, namings. and, And not that one can't see them through a different lens, but it was sometimes hard to see them through a different lens when the the name feels really oppressive. And so the emperor and empress felt really oppressive to me. And I said, I'm making my own deck. I'm going to rename those cards. I don't know. Uh, I get to choose. So I chose um, with intentionality, um, a queering of a lot of the cards that I felt had that vibe. So yeah, that was my, my, my perspective on it. Yeah. What I, I chose the card that I picked today was the, I think the mage or magi, is that mm, the mage, mage. the mage. Yeah. And, uh, and I noticed the description was used, they pronouns for, for the magician. And so I, I appreciated that. That was the one that I picked today. And I reminded me of, um, my father's partner that they found the stones together. And I was like, Oh, that's, that looks like uh, his beard, you know? And I was like (laughs) relating on all sorts of levels. So um, there's both the personal and the expansive in every, every card. And I I really have appreciated the, the adventure um, that you're taking along as you look through all of these. Um, You mentioned in your writing of how to use these cards, uh, the use of storytelling. And so looking at a card and uh, jotting things down and you can uh, intentionally choose cards that you're drawn to, to tell a story with, or you can do a three at random. Uh, this is actually the, my favorite way to, to read cards is, is through the metaphor of story. Uh, but I'm curious if there have been any stories that you've encountered th- maybe through your own readings or from someone else that you have loved um, hearing or, or Mm. coming from these cards in particular. Mm. One that comes to mind is um, I think the combo was the eight of water and the three of water. Mm -hmm. Is that right? This was a long time ago. Um, it feels like it was a long time ago. It might've been two weeks ago. Who knows? Um, (laughs) um, but there was something about like, um, something that really struck me in the moment. And I think this was, I think it was a while ago. Um, 
actually, I think it would have been solidly within the panini and like just really feeling the, um, the absence of being to being able to be present with friends in person. Mm-hmm. And um, there was something about the story that those cards told together of um, moving. No, it wasn't. It wasn't the eight of water. It was the five of earth. Right. Because it's like, you know, the five of earth in our deck. There's like a there's like a person in a boat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um basically there and ready to help you out of the situation that you're in. Um so it's kind of like in um like I really appreciate the pagan otherworlds five of pentacles as well, where there's like if you look carefully, there's like this sprig of green grass emerging from the snow. Um and so just being like, like what does it mean to feel the intensity of absence as a as a as the path into remembering the joy of presence Mm. right and so you know that's like it's more of an interpretation than a story but even to think about in the in this particular deck it's just like okay you get in a boat with the dude and then you end up in a field of like in a meadow with your besties (laughs) you know it's like you travel down like the flood river and then you finally get to the meadow right um yeah that's great. There is just so many great characters in here that I can see livening up uh, mm-hmm. the imagination and the story story realm. Um, and you call it an archetypal dreamscape, right? Archetypal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's what we ended up saying, yeah. calling it. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what a great fit for the archetypal tarot podcast here. <laughs> and um, and then you know, I just would love to wrap up on on some notes about this mm-hmm. beautiful spread that you have mm-hmm. at, the, at the end of the book. And I just thought, oh, this is such a beautiful way to do a card reading. Um, I I often love I love simple spreads. I love mm-hmm. like the free card thing. Uh, that's when I start getting into Celtic cross territory. I'm like, whoa, I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> um, so, um, but you have a choice here to kind of keep it those three cards. So you could have the root, you can have that stem that, that is the structure holding things up, or you can and the bloom at the top or the the very heart of the matter. It may not be a bloom yet. Um, and then you can add the bloom, or you can add to that that rose shape by adding more cards. Uh, to create a story or to um, have more details on the aids and challenges of of that being able to come to fruition and then or a set of meditations that um, that will allow it to fully blossom do you um, any comments on just the this spread and how to use it and mm-hmm. um, that that invitation for our audience to try yeah um so spread making is always so interesting because like in my private practice like in my client practice um there's one spread that i use con- like fairly consistently and it's a modification of camellia elias's um the not to be denied heart spread but other than that i'm always creating spreads that are specific to the context that somebody is showing up with so when i made this spread uh for the second edition guidebook I wanted to create something that would be specific enough to be immediately applicable for folks, especially who might not think about spread making the way that I do. 
Um, but also be invitational in terms of making it more specific to your own context. Mm -hmm. So that's like, you know, if I had, you know, two more pages in the guidebook, like (laughs) I would probably talk about that. It's like, how do you make this spread more specific to your context? Um, You know, it's like, if you are dealing with a situation where there is like a linear, a linear thing that's happening, then like option A for the pedals is like, excellent of just being like, okay, what are the things that I need to make sure that I am checking in on at each milestone moving forward with this thing, right? So like, say you have um, like a project that you're working on, a collaboration, um, you know, you're moving, whatever. It's like, what do I need to make sure I'm checking in on throughout this time period? Um, You know, in terms of like aids and challenges, I think it's really helpful to actually decide which position of the pedals are, is it an aid and which is a challenge, which is an aid, which is a challenge. And like mm. secretly challenges are helpful and helpful things are challenges, right? We can get into the weeds of that if you want to, but, um, <laughs> but I do think it's really helpful to be like, okay, so the bottom pedals are challenges and the top three pedals are assists, for example, or vi- like, you know, reverse it. It's like the bottom pedals are supporting And then what are they supporting? It's navigating these challenges up above. Just make that decision before you pull your cards, (laughs) right? Don't switch. Don't switch in the middle of the reading. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, as a set of meditations, you could even say like each one of these pedals, it's like, um, you know, you could like, depending on your context, it's like, what are the earth meditations? Like, what are, what are the material situation, like stuff that I need to focus on? What's the air meditation? What do I need to make sure I'm focusing on, on a mental level, right? What is the water situation? How, what do I need to meditate on for my emotional well-being in this context? What's the fire? Like how, what, what form of creativity do I need to really make sure I'm stoking or like what wood do I need to be putting on to fuel my vitality? And then maybe that top center pedal is like spirit. It's just like, what's the advice? Like what is, what's something else that, you know, the field at large is wanting to make sure I'm attuned with and attuned to as I navigate this blossoming process. Mm, wow. This goes so in depth that just, uh, are you available for readings? And I'll reach out to you because it's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I'm actually, uh, yeah. So the the surest way to book with me is by joining my Patreon. Um, the next option is to join my newsletter, and when you join my newsletter, indicate that you are interested in hearing about one-on-one sessions, um, or the all newsletters option. Um, but yes, I do prefer. Right. And that, that's with Diana Rose. Mm-hmm. Um, and how about with you, Amanda? Uh, I do not do readings uh, professionally. I occasionally, I do them for myself every single day, uh, but uh, it's, yeah, I appreciate you asking. Um, I, I tend not to read for other people very much. <laughs> you might be able to convince Amanda to um, make art for you. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yes. How about, um, maybe. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> got to be pr- pr- very called to it and it's got to be some level of synchronicity there maybe <laughs> you know I I try I try to do um 
art for every uh, new and full moon. And I, I post those um, on, on the last craft uh, designs, Instagram. So that's certainly, if you just want to see kind of like what I'm, what I'm, what new thing I'm kind of doing, that's, that's open. And I, I'm, I am down for making art uh, commission is fine with me. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> well, um, we will have your information on our little blurb for the podcast so people can reach out to you um, as welcome. And when what was the release date of this, of your deck? It was, um, did it, was it recently? The second edition came out on June 6th, officially, I believe. June, June 6th, 2023. Fantastic. And so this is out and about and ready for purchase. It's through uh red wheel wiser or wiser books right mm -hmm. and um as the publisher and uh what what's next for you both are you collaborating again are you off on different projects i'm kind of off on different projects i would say i think if if another tarot deck is like hey moms <laughs> <laughs> birth me <laughs> but at this point nobody there are there are no tarot babies in the wings yeah great yeah I uh I during the during the the time I uh I ended up going back to to work at a nine to five kind of job instead of doing my own entrepreneurial thing which I had done for seven years prior to that so um my time is a little more focused on you know, <laughs> doing marketing for a company right now. So I, I just haven't been doing as much in the realm of art other than for my own personal desires and loves, but I don't know, maybe, maybe, you know, the new wave tarot will get another life and a reprint who knows me, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll just end up coming up with something else. It's hard to say these, these things are never forced. They're just mm -hmm. sort of like, they come, they go. They you are. listen, you listen and yeah. yeah, you don't force. Yeah. Well, if, if the new blossoms come into being, please let, let me know. I'd love to have you both back. And, um, it's just been a real treat, uh, mm -hmm. listening to your process with this beautiful deck that's now out in the world and sending blooms and, and sensual delights for everyone's imagination that can witness this deck. So thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Sundara. This has been a lovely conversation.